Welcome to Spoiler Peace Theater, the podcast that doesn't give a shit about spoilers. We just want to talk about the movies. My name is Megan Kearns. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a contributor to Edge Media Network and a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association. My name is Dave Riedel. I write about movies. My pronouns are he, him, and I am also a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association. And my name is Evan Crean. My pronouns are he, him, and I am co-chair of the Boston Online Film Critics Association and co-author of your 80s movie guide to better living. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you owe, drinks. You owe me a frosty beverage. Isn't that what you always say? Yes. <laughs> I love a frosty beverage because I don't like Coke. So I always say frosty beverage. <laughs> yeah. I don't like Coke either. Coke is this is like Satan's brew. I don't know. When that, Ooh, that sh- I agree. Except for Mexican Coke. I do like Mexican Coca-Cola. Because it's got the sugar yeah. cane. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But it'll make your teeth turn fuzzy. So you got to be careful. <laughs> I drink through a straw, so I don't have to worry about that. Okay. <laughs> Although I guess it's still on the back of my teeth, but anyway. <laughs> but yes, here at Spoiler Peace, we love to talk about food and we love to talk about movies. Yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. before we get into what we will be covering this week, we want to tell you about our bonus episode. Every week we do a bonus Patreon for our patrons. So if you're not a patron, please consider joining. And if you are, you'll want to check out our episode talking about the 2011 sci-fi comedy, Attack the Block. Mm, yeah. <laughs> we had a Allow great... <laughs> we had a great time talking about it. It's a great film. So go check it out. And it's short. If you also see it, yes. it's 82 minutes long or something. 86. It's short. Whatever. It is. It is short. I think it's 85 with credits. There you go. Yes. But definitely rewatch it, watch it, check it out. All that good stuff. So the films we're going to be talking about this week, we're going to be talking about the latest Bond film, No Time to Die, Bingo Hell, The Guilty, and The Many Saints of Newark. And to kick things off, we're going to have Dave tell us about No Time to Die. Yeah. I wish this were pronounced No Time to D, just because that would be fun. No Time to D. (laughs) That'd be a tenacious D movie. Exactly. (laughs) There would only be time to D if it were a Tenacious D movie, right? Yeah. Don't they they only talk about themselves? Anyway, um, yeah, No Time to Die. It's uh, Daniel Craig's last turn as James Bond. Um, He has described himself as, quote, grumpy Bond, unquote. And um, (laughs) I think that that's fairly accurate. And uh, what I was saying off mic is, um, and I, I don't know, Megan, you haven't seen a lot of Bond movies, right? No, just the Daniel Craig ones. Okay. So Bond movies, you know, people talk about who's a better Bond, whatever. And the movies are all kind of each actor, the mo, I might be alone on this, but the Sean Connery movies feel like Sean Connery Bond movies. The Roger Moore movies feel like Roger Moore movies. You, you get what I'm saying? It's like the stories don't really change so much. What changes is the attitude of the actor playing James Bond. So Roger Moore mm-hmm. was more, I don't want to say he was a ham, but it was certainly more tongue in cheek than the Sean Connery stuff, even though there was some tongue in cheek yeah. stuff with him too. But then you had Timothy Dalton who was just like hard ass. And then everybody hated that. And then you had Pierce Brosnan who just sucked. So, you know, those four <laughs> movies are just dog shit. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, they're bad. And uh, especially Goldeneye. That is not just a bad Bond movie, but one of the worst movies ever made. Oh, wait, I um, didn't see Goldeneye. I didn't mind you it. You don't think Die Another Day is worse? <laughs> you know, um, I don't remember Die Another Day. I do know that's the Oof. last one. Woof. Uh, oh, but wait, anyway. Goldeneye had Tina Turner. That was amazing. Yeah. 
Anyway, I digress. Anyway, let's talk about No Time to <laughs> no Die. No Time to Die. Yes. Well, anyway, it, this movie's getting a lot of flack because it's so long. And first of all, who gives a shit? Like, what else do you have to do? It's COVID. So you can sit home and watch it. Actually, it's in theaters right Actually, now. Actually, you but- can't. <laughs> You're right. You can go see it on the big screen and then maybe in three or four weeks, it'll be on demand somewhere. I don't know what the, you know, what the plan is for the rollout. But it is like all of the Daniel Craig movies, all of the Daniel Craig movies tie into each other. Um, It was kind of a big deal that Quantum of Solace was a direct sequel to Casino Royale and that, you know, Skyfall is a direct sequel to Quantum. Like, who gives a shit? But mm-hmm. it does make these five stories all fit together in a rather unique way in the Bond canon. And I like Daniel Craig as Bond. I don't think that... I think that Spectre was kind of a terrible movie. Um, I liked Skyfall a lot. I thought Casino Royale was hit or miss. And as you both know, I didn't see Quantum of Solace. And this one is kind of... I like this one. It is grumpy, but <laughs> it's it's like... It makes sense that he's grumpy. He's like tired. He gets the shit kicked out of him. And at least in this one, he barely has to deal with his foster brother, which is one of the dumbest plot points ever in the course of a bond. It's like, really? <laughs> like your foster brother is the bad guy? Or rather, you were the foster brother, James Bond? I mean, it's just how stupid oh, is that? That's weird. Yeah. Don't, did you not see? That. Yeah. <laughs> and also for it to be Christoph Waltz, I really like him, but just two on the nose Mm -hmm. but anyway when i say that this movie is of its you know all of the daniel craig movies are kind of they're a little more serious than all the other ones except for maybe the timothy dalton ones that's why when you watch the roger dalton the roger daltrey jesus christ what's my problem (laughs) the roger moore movies um for your eyes only sticks out so much because for your eyes only it's like they did like James Bond in New Orleans and then they did James Bond with Christopher Lee and then they did James Bond in space. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. for your eyes only is just like James Bond is killing people. What the fuck? You know, so it just this movie is just no time to die is just killing. There's just killing. There's new Bond people. There's a new 007 because Bond is technically retired. Um and she and she is a badass. And Ana de Armas is in it. She's a CIA badass. Felix Leiter returns for one last go around. And Leia Sadu is Leia Sadu, who I know that Megan does like so much because she has that one look on her face that she does. <laughs> yeah, I don't like her. <laughs> but I think she's lovely in everything. And she's great in this. And this movie has a lot more... Like, they didn't really do anything with her character, Inspector. It's like, oh, yeah, she was, you know, somebody's daughter. And now she's a psychiatrist, whatever. This one, she's actually, you know, a part of the plot uh, in a way that makes a lot of sense. And Rami Malek is the bad guy, but the the bad Rami Malek's fine. It's just not a very... It's not a particularly good bad guy. Although the thing that he wants mm-hmm. to do to kill everybody is kind of amazing nanorobots so um <laughs> but um, nano that's like one of my favorite 80s movies yeah but nanorobots that are um tailored to your dna so anybody who shares like like a family member if you get like these nanobots on you right and then you touch like your dad your dad's done for so um it's like that kind of thing so <laughs> yeah so you've got that's why um it depends on uh, once you get infected with these nanobots, there are people you can never be around. So James Bond gets infected with them. So he can't be with his daughter. He's got a daughter. Oh my God. 
I mean, big surprise. He and Leia Sadu <laughs> were like doing it all the time in the last movie. So, um, and in this one, because this one opens up with them being together, and then he goes to Vesper's grave, Vesper Eva Green, and then Blofeld tries to blow him up, and that's what starts off the whole thing. And then it's like, let's chase everybody, blah blah blah. It's Bond, and then that's it. I mean, so it's better than Spectre. It's not as good as Skyfall. It is long, but who cares? And it's got a lot of creeping around, which is kind of fun in a Bond movie. Ooh, I'm yeah. that. Yeah, lots of like, shh, be quiet, because that guy over there could probably whack him on the head, you know, so. <laughs> right. You don't want him doing the Metal Gear Solid alert noise. E- exactly. <laughs> which we've been talking about all night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was really hoping that somebody at some point would be like, I don't have a weapon. Hit him with a brick, you know, or something like that. But <laughs> there was none of that. It was the old standard like, oh, I've got, you know, my Walter PPK or whatever the gun is that Bond has. So it was fine. I, I had a good time with it. Um, if you're... Uh, if you like the Daniel Craig Bonds, you'll probably like this one. If you don't like them, it's not for you. I mean, Bond isn't for everyone. He's not like, I don't need to see any of the Roger Moore movies again. I don't need to see any of the Pierce Brosnan movies. I don't even really like the Sean Connery movies so much. It's just, you know, Bond is kind of iconic because it's James Bond, not because it's mm-hmm. good, you know? <laughs> so. Right. And it's such a long running franchise that it's kind of just like, you're either kind of on the James Bond train or you're not. Like, yeah. I know there was a period of time where they they would come out a lot around Thanksgiving and my family is going through this phase where we'd go to the movies on Thanksgiving. So I remember seeing a couple of the Bond movies in theaters on Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I, I would say see it, but you know, whatever. It's, uh, you know, it's up to you. I mean, if you're grumpy Bond, you know, if you like grumpy cat, maybe you like grumpy mm. Bond. Who knows? So I'd say go for it. But Bond. Grumpy Bond. Yeah. <laughs> grumpy is my middle name. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you've kind of spoiler freeze me into it. And I like Carrie Joji Fukunaga. I like yeah. Lashana Lynch. And I'm, I great. really liked her in Captain Marvel. And I'm really excited that she's the new Bond, the first black woman, first woman. That's exciting. So, yeah. Yeah. And it appears that Bond dies at the end of the movie. But after the credits roll, it says James Bond will return. And it doesn't say right. it doesn't style. say 007 will return. It says James Bond will return. So, you know, who knows what's going on? Mm. But I mean, this these movies make so much goddamn money at this point, they'd be ridiculously stupid not to keep making them. So as expensive as they are. Yeah, it is interesting, though, because he keep, Daniel Craig has wanted to stop for many years and they keep offering him mm-hmm. more money to come back. <laughs> well, I do kind of, you know, I mean, on this, you know, he broke his femur when he was making Spectre and then he broke his ankle when he was making this. And, you know. It's it's a physically demanding role. I mean, people are like, ooh, acting, how hard can it be? Well, you know, you do have to fall off things and get yeah. punched in the face. So, you know, that's right. that's hard work. <laughs> right. And maybe he wants to, you know, spread his wings and do something different. So, like yeah. Knives Out too. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but all right, Dave, did you have any other thoughts on No Time no, to Die? No, I think I went more than five minutes too. I'm sorry. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you did spoiler piece me into wanting to see it. I don't know about you, Adam. Ha yeah, I mean, I, I like the James Bond movies generally and agree that the the Daniel Craig movies have been kind of hit or miss in places, but I'm still interested in seeing this at some point. So I'm sure I will. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about Bingo Hell, horror film, part of the Welcome to the Bloomhouse series on Amazon Prime. This is written, co-written and directed by Gigi Saul Guerrero. 
stars Adriana Barraza and L. Scott Caldwell. And basically, it's about some uh, two older women living in a rundown community, and they've been there for a very long time. They've, they're very protective of their community. And this guy comes in, and he's Mr. Big, and he starts running a very swanky bingo game, giving away lots mm-hmm. of money. But the catch is yeah. when people win the money, they die. You know, I like this movie better yeah. the first time I saw it when it was called Needful Things by Stephen <laughs> King. <laughs> and that wasn't a good movie and neither is this fucking thing. Jesus. Uh, Evan, I know you said you liked it. I'm sorry. I had I to break it, it immediately. It's this movie was just like it was like 85 minutes of torture. How did you feel? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was entertained. It's subtle. This movie is not. it's definitely got a point of view it's definitely got you know things it's trying to say about greed and the dangers of greed and you know selling your soul for riches like it's completely unsubtle i think one of its strengths is that it's so short (laughs) so i think it kind of gets in and out in my opinion uh it didn't drag for me i enjoyed the characters i love uh sassy older characters uh which (laughs) the main characters in this are. And um, I don't know. I I thought there was something sweet about the community is run down, but there's this, you know, group of diehard friends who have been there forever, you know, raised their kids, raising their grandkids in this community. And they're all still friends. And I love that. That's kind of where it all comes together at the end is, you know, we're all friends. We don't need to be in this dump of a town anymore. Let's go somewhere different and we'll (laughs) still be best friends. (laughs) Except for the three of you who died. Yes. So. <laughs> Which, well, and that. so that's, that's one of the things that other things I liked about this movie is like, so, you know, when people kind of, they get this like dollar bill, this dollar sign stamp on their hand as part of the bingo and then they win and then they like have these crazy hallucinations of like grandeur it's really the best way to describe it and they're actually doing something really horrible to themselves I found that just entertaining. Like when the guy's in his garage and you think he's drinking beers and it turns out he's just chugging motor oil and sticking his hand in the, uh, the engine. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought there was something amusing about that concept, but that's just me. Megan. <laughs> so I, I really like, as you guys know, this is, this is going to come as no surprise. I really like when there's social commentary in horror. Horror is innately a political genre. So I love when there is social commentary and this definitely is not subtle and it wears its political bent on its sleeve that greed is bad. Capitalism is bad. Um, gentrification is bad. I mean, we see hipsters coming in and we see the microbrewery about to come in and a very hipstery mm-hmm. cafe and the free little library nook. And Lupita, who is the protagonist, is, you know, really disgusted by it. And that's a great commentary to see because rich people and corporations prey on these communities, quite often communities of color, and they push people out so they can, you know, gentrify and bring in these kinds of hipster businesses. And don't get me wrong. I love a coffee shop. I love, you know, bookstores and libraries, like little free ones. But yeah, I mean, that is, gentrification is a massive, massive problem. And it's a massive part of white supremacy and capitalism, which are huge problems, obviously. So yeah, I love that conceptually. 
I think the problem with this film. <laughs> there's the big butt. There's the big butt. The problem with this. Oh, and I should also say, I really, really like, um, oh my God, I totally spaced on her name. Um, and I just said, it. oh, Adriana Barraza as oh. Lupita. I really like her. I think she's great. She's cantankerous. She reminded me a lot of the protagonist in Lucky Grandma, which was such a great film. And mm-hmm. I like that. <sighs> What I do not like, though, is that I found this, and I, I this pains me to say it because I love women-directed horror. I wanted to like this so much because I love, I love a commentary on, you know, gentrification. But this is this to me was extremely tedious and extremely dull. And to me, there's a lot of ideas, but they're not very deep. They're very shallow, and there's it just. I agree I with all of this, by the thank way. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> care about any of the characters except kind of Lupita. Like she was the only one I kind of sort of cared about. But to me, there just wasn't enough of her or knowing enough about her to care more. And I didn't care about any of the other characters, unfortunately. And there's like a whole subplot about Dolores, her best friend's grandson, Caleb. And I didn't care about that. And I just wish the commentary was kind of woven throughout more because there's a scene, there's a scene where Caleb is talking to Eric, one of the guys who's lived in the community for a really long time and he knew Caleb's father. And he's talking about how money doesn't solve problems and like money is not the answer. And the only thing I could think of is like, I'm like, okay, I understand why you have that in here because it ties into the commentary about capitalism and gentrification. But at the same time, I'm like, as someone who's grown up poor, that's like something somebody would say who's never been poor. And that doesn't really coincide with the community, which has been financially struggling. So it just, it kind of took me out of the moment. It was kind of frustrating because money does give you access to things. Unfortunately, it of course does not buy happiness, but it does provide access to healthcare, you know, mobility, things like that. So it just was, I don't know. So anyway, I had problems with a lot of the acting. I had problems with the very stylized, jarring editing, which drove me bonkers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did like the neon lighting. That worked for me, but unfortunately that was about it. So <laughs> man, I, I think all, the the lighting just like, you know, I, I'm all for lighting how you want to light things, but everything, the, just nothing about this was like a surprise in any way. It's just like, it's like there was a sledgehammer and everything else is a nail and you're just hitting, na- you don't even need a sledgehammer to hit fucking nails. You need a hammer. But like with this, it's just like everything is just, let's do everything times a thousand. I mean, when the bad guy shows up, now you see him like kind of lurking in the shadows and being creepy or you see his hands or whatever. But when that mm-hmm. guy shows up with that face and those teeth, the first <laughs> thing you think is, oh, I want to play this bingo game. Are you fucking crazy? I mean, why don't you cast somebody who looks benevolent instead of somebody who looks like a caricature of a character like this? I mean, just piss poor. So I mean, <laughs> I think what that's kind of speaking to is this film kind of has a campiness or wants to have a campiness that it's I, not it's not good enough though. No, and that's the thing. Like I'm I'm seeing what it's doing and I'm like, "Oh, I really want to be into this." And I just wasn't cuz you're right. It just for me it just wasn't good enough for me to be into. It wasn't I needed better writing, I needed more character development, I needed 
I needed just kind of some more, some more. There's, there's not enough. And I almost never say this. There's just not enough plot here. Ooh. You know what you need? You need Max von Sydow as Satan, like he was in Needful Things. That's what you need. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he definitely would have added some significant flair to that the part of Mister Big. Yeah, and height. (laughs) Don't forget that. Yes. You know. Yeah. Although I don't think that that guy was short. I'm just saying that Max von Sydow was very tall. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This guy did his character did have a creepy way of standing behind people and putting his arms on their shoulders. Yeah. That uh, that was that was icky. But yeah, I I understand what you're I understand all the gripes. Uh, I just was able to power through some of this in a way that it was like, okay, powered through the gripes. It's not it's not subtle. Uh, It can be I don't know. I enjoyed the bits that were kind of more stylized and I liked like I said, I like the hallucinatory sequences. I thought they were just kind of like mad. <laughs> <laughs> no, and In like I hear a bonkers it. kind of way. <laughs> and I wish I did. And I, I feel like the elements are there. And I just, for me, it just needed more, like more tweaking, yeah. more, more depth, more something. But the elements are there. It's not. Yeah, that's why I, I'm really, I'm actually really bummed that I didn't like it because if you described this movie to me, and I mean, I wanted to really see this when I read the premise, mm-hmm. and I was like, yes, this sounds great. I yeah. love older people as protagonists, especially in a horror film. Like, yes, but it just, yeah, it didn't work for me, unfortunately. Yeah, but in practice, no, at least in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But I love that you loved it, Evan, because, yeah, because like I said, <laughs> there's definitely a stylized flair there. There's definitely like, like I said, not quite a campiness, but kind of sort of. And, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely is, you know, kind of I mean, not tongue in cheek either, but it definitely has a sense of humor about what it's doing. I just, yeah, I just wish I was more into it. Yeah, same. I, I would think based on on the, uh, how it sounds on paper, I assumed that you would probably like this, but right? I, I, I totally get all the reasons why you don't and why you don't, Dave. And I am not begrudging any of those criticisms because I think <laughs> they're fair criticisms of this movie. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but do you guys have any other thoughts? Nah. No, I mean, this short, short movie, short movie to talk about, too. <laughs> yeah. Very true. Very true. All right. Well, let's move on to The Guilty, which is a remake of the 2018 Danish film, The Guilty. And this film stars Jake Gyllenhaal and is directed by Anton Fuqua and written by Nick Pizzolatto. And the... The summary of this, the synopsis of this is that Jake Gyllenhaal is a cop who has been put on sort of on leave in that he can't be an actual cop, but he is taking 911 calls and this Mm -hmm. is in the LA area. And so there's lots of wildfires going on and he takes a 911 call from a woman and he thinks that she is in trouble, abducted, and he becomes very fixated on this case and her call. Yeah. And we, we know that something's gone on with him. Like he's waiting, like tomorrow he's supposed to have some big day in court. He's separated from his wife and there's, seems like there might even be a restraining order going on. It's, it seems like he's kind of, uh, I don't know, desperate to try and reclaim some of his power of being a policeman. But I, I think that's one of the issues I have 
with this movie is the idea that being a 911 operator is a punishment. Oh, like, it's interesting. a tough job. It's a tough job to have mm-hmm. to do. Like I I used to work in tech support. I worked with someone who used to be a cop and used to be a 911 operator and just like hearing how hard it was to deal with like it's I don't know, it's a challenge unto itself. So I think it's I don't know. It's I think it's kind of insulting to people who do that and do that important work to wow. kind of treat it like it's somebody's punishment. I hadn't thought of that. I mean, to play devil's advocate, it is punishment for this character in his mind, not just oh, for actual sure. punishment, but right. Yeah. No, but that's a great, yeah, I didn't think of, I thought of it, right. Like I thought he was thinking it's punishment, but I didn't get the sense that that's what the film is saying that it's punishment in general, but you're right. Great point. Great point. Yes. Shucks. Salient. You might say, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, um, we know what uh, Evan thinks. Megan, what did you think? Oh, I was going to ask you, Dave. <laughs> oh, well, I so, can go or you can go. It's, I'll it's, go. Sure. Why not? So I really enjoyed the original Danish film. Um, so I was kind of like, uh, I, I really get irritated when there are English language remakes because it's not necessary. Read the fucking subtitles. You don't need it. But having said that, I will say I think Jake Gyllenhaal is absolutely outstanding in this. I think he gives a staggering performance. I was mm-hmm. so impressed with his emotional running the gamut of his emotional spectrum. I mean, we start off, he's very agitated. You know, it's very clear right away. He's having difficulty breathing. He has an inhaler and it could be because of the wildfires, but it's very clear that's not what's happening because he has a lot of anxiety. He's very agitated. He's very angry, very easily, very irritable. He, you know, his he has a ringing in his ears. So there's clearly some PTSD or something going on with him. Very At a very, very early stage, you get that sense and you don't know fully until almost the very end of the film what's going on. Um, but yeah, I think Jake Gyllenhaal's performance is really what anchors this film and has to mm-hmm. because the entire yeah. film is Jake Gyllenhaal on the phone with other people and most of it is just him with voice acting. And I think he is really fantastic. I think Riley Keough as Emily, the woman he's talking to, I think her voice acting is really great. I always love Riley Keough. I always love seeing what she does because I think she's really chameleonic. So I think she's, again, great here. Um, this is very tense. I think the score is good. It's very subtle, but very tense. And I did like this. What my big problem with is in this film is, so there's a, clearly a commentary happening with on commentary on police because mm-hmm. when Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Joe, talks to Emily's daughter, who's six years old, Abby, on the phone, and he's trying to you know find out what's going on and he's trying to locate Emily because she's in a van with her ex. And Abby doesn't want to have police at the house. She's six, but she knows she doesn't want police. And he keeps saying, we're protectors, we help people. And she's like, no, you don't. You took away my daddy. And so it's really interesting to kind of get that perspective. Um, And it is potentially, it's kind of, it kind of rides this line between kind of propaganda and kind of a commentary on police or really on a Mm -hmm. broken social system because Henry, Emily's ex, talks about later in the film, he says like, nobody helps, not doctors, not lawyers, not social workers. Um, 
But my big problem, and this is the this, this is why I love that we spoil shit on spoiler piece because I do not know how you talk about this film without spoiling the shit out of it. Um, mm-hmm. My problem is that, and and the original film does this too, to be fair. But my problem is that I'm disturbed that what seems like for a majority of the film that this is an abduction, it's a domestic violence situation, it's a stalking situation. It then pivots to a mental health crisis of a woman attempting to murder her baby and Mm -hmm. just for a shocking lurid twist. And that really bothers me and does not sit well with me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for me that bothered me too, but I think you're, you're talking about this idea of like commentary about the police and you, you definitely see it in this character, the way he looks at people and so much a binary, they're either a perpetrator or a victim. Yes. Like, and, and the way he judges some people he talks to on the phone and is rude to them and is dismissive of them as a 911 operator. And I think the fact that it turns into a mental health situation and it's about him saving her life, I don't want to say it absolves him, but it definitely makes him a more sympathetic character, which I think is problematic because of what he's done when we find mm-hmm. out that he's murdered someone and we don't know all the details of it, but we know that he killed someone we in the line that, of duty. We know that it, he knows it wasn't he, justified. Right. He, he, we know that he knows it wasn't justified. Right. Yes. And, and so it kind of like, it, it kind of gives him like a pat on the back at the end, especially when we find out, you know, he's decided to plead, you know, guilty to manslaughter and, you know, t- take his punishment. And so I feel like in kind of that way, it detracts from the, the message in, mm-hmm. in a way that's frustrating. Um, but I also, I have to say, I had a very unique experience watching this movie because I was actually dealing with a domestic violence situation on my street. Um, Like one of my neighbors was in trouble and was calling for help. And we actually went outside to try and help them uh, and like, you know, help them and kept them company and their kid was with them and like kept them company and like talked to them waiting for police to come to deal with the situation. So it was like, a really weird frame of mind to be in while watching this movie. Like, cause we maybe like 20 or 30 minutes into the movie when all this happened. And then we like came back in after everything happened. Uh, and so it was just, I don't know. It's just kind of like a jarring mental state to be in, yeah. to be watching the rest of the movie. Yeah, and no so kidding. like in that way, like I felt the intensity of it, but at the same time, kind of getting back to what I was just saying, it was that much more frustrating. The yes. kind of like turn that it took at the yes. end. I'm so glad. I'm not so glad you had to experience that. I'm so glad because I really want to be clear about that. I'm so glad you shared that, Evan, because yeah, as I've shared this on the show before, I'm a domestic violence survivor and I am a stalking survivor. And yeah, and people don't believe you and, and people minimize it, sadly. Like not everyone, of course, but a lot of people do. And so you're feeling this acutely as a person who is kindly and generously helping your neighbor. and. I agree. Like I've experienced it too. And then to have, have the film kind of make that, that shift, that pivot just feels, it feels insulting. Well, interesting. I think I dislike this more than both of you. (laughs) 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 And, and I, I didn't really think that deeply about it. Um, although I mean, my my inclination, and you guys know I love cop movies, but my inclination is to always think cops are bad, especially in movies. Uh, and 
I just kind of I thought this was predictable. Like I I don't know why and we've talked about this a million times before how I can always guess the end of a movie, but I I was thinking to myself, well, clearly this is like uh, there was just something about the way Riley Kehoe was playing the part that I was just like, well, she's, this is a not, this is not what we think it is. It's maybe she's been kidnapped, but it's not because her ex-husband is trying to like abduct her and murder her. Um, mm-hmm. It's because something else is going on, which is exactly what happened. And I also thought that the, the change over to mental health kind of, it's a, it's a mental health crisis just was kind of cheap. And I also thought, you know, mm-hmm. ex-husband Henry, if you have gone to your ex-wife's home and she has stabbed your younger child, what? where is your fucking head? Why haven't you called a paramedic or somebody? Like, your first inclination is to stick your wife in a van and take her to the, like... Right. Nobody, nobody wants to call the police and have them, you know, suicide by cop. No one wants that. But at the same time, you're dealing with a critically wounded child and your first decision is to put your wife in the trunk of a car or whatever you do and drive her out of Los Angeles to a mental hospital. What? It just, it was just, it's so weird choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying that, you know, people when faced with real, a real crisis like that, who knows how they'd fucking react, but movies have to make sense. You know, and this is just, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. So, um, that, that really bugged me. And, you know, (sighs) children in peril is a really easy way to get an audience on your side quickly. So it just, the whole thing is just kind of, just kind of crummy. It's just kind of like it takes all these elements that are sort of geared toward, I don't want to say lazy filmmaking, but it's like children in peril exist to give you, you know, an emotional response instantly, you know, and husband abducted, ex-husband abducting ex-wife. You have a thing, but the, but this movie is so coy with its like tightrope about, uh, it. I'm having a hard time articulating it because it bothered me so much. Just with, you know, Joe's like, just like, she's been abducted. And it's like, no, she's, I've seen too many movies. She Maybe she's been abducted, but it's not because she's been abducted. It's because of something else. Right. Yeah. You, you know? get the sense. At least I did as I was watching that there was some kind of twists coming. It's not going to be like straightforward. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I agreed with, I totally agree with you, Megan, that Jake Hall gives like an incredible performance. I, I agree with that the, too, by the, the way. The movie has to hang on him and it does. And he's great. I like you, Dave was not a fan of Riley Keough's performance. I just, something about it just, I don't know. It seemed to use your word kind of coy. Like it seemed like there was a coyness to it in a way that I found distracting. Like it seemed like it was like a, I can't quite put my finger on it, but something about it I found distracting when he was talking to her on the phone. Yeah. I will. I just want to say um, that what I find really interesting, and I wanted to come back to what you had said, Evan, about the movie patting him on the back. Mm -hmm. The Danish film, and most of the Danish film is beat for beat. This This is the same film for most of it. There are a couple very important differences. 
Um, one of them is that the baby does not survive. The baby is dead. Ugh. And the other one, which I think is an extremely, extremely important difference, is that the protagonist is not in a room by himself. He is in a room with his colleagues when he makes that confession to the woman. Oh, wow. And so they hear him. So they know. And so and that for me, and they're like horrified, like looking at him. So that Mm -hmm. to me is very different. Because he's not regaled as a hero or, you know, gets to pat himself on the back. So to me, it leaves a different tone and an important tone. That is very important. Yeah. So I still have the same problem with the, you know, the shocking twist. And I say shocking, not necessarily that, because Dave, obviously you saw something coming, but just that it is, you know, intended to be shocking. I still have a massive problem with that. But at least it's not, you know, applauding him in the same way. Yeah, I right. didn't feel yeah. like I might have to go back and rewatch because maybe there is something that's kind of letting him off the hook more. But then I'm remembering. But yeah, I'm just, mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's just a good thing that Jake Gyllenhaal is as good as he is because right? if this were a lesser performer, I mean, th- it would this movie would be fucking deadly. And it's only 91 minutes long with credits, so. Which is usually the sign of like, you know, when you have a 91 minute movie with a major star, you're like, why is this movie 91 minutes? And then this makes perfect sense because it's a fucking phone call. But um, yeah, there's just there's just too many problems with this for me to recommend, even though I was kind of like I was compelled to keep watching it. But I think it is a compelling film. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think to your point, Megan, I think that's because of Jake Gyllenhaal. Although yes. there were a couple times when I'm like, I didn't look at the cast list before I watched this. And I was just like, is that Ethan Hawke playing his sergeant? <laughs> <laughs> and it <Yeah>. was. <laughs> I didn't know that that was Peter Sarsgaard as the as the father. But no, um, I didn't recognize anybody's voice. I was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and I usually do recognize voices. Yeah, I saw Paul Dano's name in the credits. Like, who the yeah. fuck was Paul Dano? And then he was one. Obviously, he was one of the callers. But um, yeah, I, I didn't. Yeah, I, I think yeah, it's like some Frasier style situation. Like, OK, who's <laughs> calling in for advice? Yes. Yeah, I absolutely. So I, I think that um, the what I can deduce from this is that it's time to take away Nick Pizzolatto's um, screenwriting uh, card. Oh, so because you've got True Detective, <laughs> and then everything else he's done since then, dog shit. So I mean, this isn't. This I wouldn't say this dog is shit. dog shit, but I mean, the Magnificent Seven remake—that's pretty horrible. I didn't you mind know? it. Um, <laughs> I didn't mind it, but whatever. But I also um, don't like if it disappeared tomorrow. I wouldn't care. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I so, just yeah, True Detective season one is brilliant, but this it's no. great. Yeah, and then you have season two, and you're like, why didn't you just give him an extra year? I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> but I also have a big problem with, and I don't mean his entire oeuvre, but I have a big problem with Anton Fuqua's Training Day because that is also a film that, even though Denzel Washington is playing, you know, a very complicated villainous cop, uh, there's a lot of copaganda in that too. Mm-hmm. so yeah anyway for sure yeah so i have a problem but yeah but i will say jake joan hall great performance he's always great and he is great again mm-hmm. here yeah but there's just yeah there's just and this is compelling you are totally right dave but yeah there's just so many so many issues with it and like i said it's it's interesting thinking about it because yeah i liked the danish film too but it has a lot of the same problems <laughs> but the guy yeah. leading that is also really riveting and really yeah. great 
I I even overlooked that. I liked Jake Gyllenhaal so much. I overlooked the fact that he sounds like he's 11. So, you know, that's for Evan, everybody. Like I know that's it is, but I don't think critiques. he sounds like he's 11. I'm joking. No, I don't it's, think he does either. I like oh, to okay. joke that Jake Gyllenhaal has like the same voice he's had since he was like a teenager. I don't think, I don't know that he really does anymore, but I, I felt like yeah. that was a thing for a while. Maybe he Did just they, sounded like an adult when he was a kid. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny? I I had never saw any Jake Gyllenhaal movies when he was young. I think the first movie I saw him in, he was I don't know what it was, but he was an adult. So it was like, uh, mm, so when you, you when you said that, I'm like, wait, he was Bubble Boy? What? <laughs> so I had no idea. So fair enough. Mm. Do we have any final thoughts on the guilty? Mm, it's guilty of being bad. <laughs> was that Evan worthy? I was that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was that dad jokey enough? That. Yeah. Uh-uh. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Then we're going to talk about our final film, The Many Saints of Newark, The Sopranos prequel that is directed by Alan Taylor and written by David Chase and someone else whose name I now can't remember. <laughs> I think it's Lawrence Coner, something like that. Anyway. <laughs> This is a prequel to the much critically acclaimed and lauded show starring the late, great James Gandolfini. And this time around, it's focusing on a young Tony Soprano, Tony as a kid and then Tony as a teenager, starring his James Gandolfini's son, Michael Gandolfini. And it looks at Dickie Moltisanto, who had a huge influence on Tony's life. And it has a lot of the familiar characters from the show. Yeah. In younger form. Yeah. I got to, I got to jump in. It's Multisanti. So. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's, it's, it's the kind of thing you would correct me on. Ha ha. So (laughs) I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. Um, The only reason I bring it up is because you hear the name Multisanti 8 million times. I know. I actually thought I said Multisanti. So there we are. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting late. I'm sleepy. It's okay. I, I, if I'm, <laughs> but no, thank me- you. I actually, I am very precise and I do like the precision. So thank you for correcting me. <laughs> um, so you both know that I am no Sopranos fan. I've seen most of the show. I've never understood its appeal. I mean, I think it's really well acted and all of that, but I just, and watching this movie was just kind of like, I don't give a fuck who, you know, was Tony's mentor. Tony's a fucking asshole. Like it's, (laughs) you know, we're supposed to like the thing about the Sopranos is the what bothers me about the Sopranos and what bothers me about a lot of gangster movies is, and I like gangster movies. It's, it's like, these are horrible people. These are horrible, violent killers and they're Mm -hmm. misogynists, but aren't they kind of cool? And this is what goes on in this movie too. And it's just, there's nothing in this that I need to know about any of these people. Who mm-hmm. cares that Tony's mentor is Christopher, is is uh, Michael, what's the actor's name? Imperioli. Uh, Michael Imperioli's, you know, father's character. Like, who who cares? You know, I, I just, what a waste of Vera Farmiga and John Bernthal and... and Huge Ella- waste of John Bernthal. And, and outrageous. Yeah. Yeah, I would have well, liked to see him more in this. Um, 
and, and just and it, I thought it looked shitty. Like it just. Thank it's, you. It's just it fucking did. gray, you know. And I know that that's kind of the thing now to make movies set in. The, it used to be they had warm amber tones, especially if you were feeling nostalgic. And now, like movies that take place in the past are all like that weird blue gray from the nineties. Um, but that's not why this looks like shit. Just to be yeah, clear, this, this just looks like shit because it looks like shit. Um, and it's also just the pacing is all over the fucking place. Yes, and thank you. Yeah. And also, Tony's barely in it. This is yeah. Dickie's story. Correct. And who right. fucking cares who Dickie is? <laughs> well, who cares? <laughs> so, all right. All right. So, I I do love The Sopranos. I um, do, too. I, I have not rewatched it recently. I feel like I'm definitely due after seeing this. But I think it's important to note what an impact the show had on pop culture and on television in terms of, of you know featuring in anti-hero so prominently and having kind of like i don't know just like a, a lot of it's kind of a heady show for being a show about gangsters and mm-hmm. you know and killing and stuff mm-hmm. and there's definitely some really interesting characters and, and and I love their dynamics. So I was definitely looking forward to seeing this movie, but I feel similarly to you, Dave, and like kind of like what's the point of it? Like it's fun to see younger versions of all these characters, you know, and love, but I definitely want to, when I think about this movie, the first thing I think of is the many saints that knew what is John Majaro doing in this movie? Oh my God. <laughs> and he's one terrible. of the most distracting performances I've ever seen in a movie. Any scene he's in as young Silvio, I just like, what is this guy doing? He's doing some type of weird <laughs> Steve Van Zant slash Robert De Niro impression that's just so it sticks out so badly. It's such a caricature. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's terrible. So like on the one hand, I like seeing younger versions of some of these characters. It's funny to see, you know, Polly Walnuts, you know, painting his nails at the table and then needing to kind of you know, grab the salt shaker in a way so he doesn't mess up his nail polish. Okay. Like funny, funny jokes like that and, and backstory. But like I watched this movie and I paused it 40 minutes in and I feel like nothing had happened after 40 nope. minutes of watching this movie. And I think there could be something interesting. Like I hate voiceover normally and it's pretty intrusive in here this idea in the beginning which i think is actually not a terrible idea where we're at the cemetery and we come to christopher Maltasanti's grave and he's our narrator and he's kind of giving us this backstory but his voiceover is is so intrusive in the movie wait and you like, think that's not a bad idea that he's narrating I, from hell See, I think there could be something interesting from this idea of like we're in the cemetery and the people who are dead are telling their stories. Like, I think that could be interesting, but I think it's just so intrusive and so heavy handed that it just doesn't really work in this movie. (laughs) I can see that. I think it is. I think it is an abysmal choice. And I think it's an abhorrent choice. And I also have to say, I feel like I have to preface everything I'm about to say very similarly to you, Evan, I love The Sopranos and I did rewatch it very recently and like within the past year or so. And it is a show I love. I love shows about antiheroes. 
I disagree with you, Dave. I do not think that this show makes Tony or any of them look cool. I think that's kind of one of the beauties of the show is I think it makes them all look like pieces mm-hmm. of shit because they are yeah. pieces of shit. And even Tony, who, you know, has mental health struggles, has panic attacks, loves the ducks, loves his horse, doesn't matter. He even even if you understand his pain, even if you have maybe, maybe some sympathy or empathy for his pain, he's still a fucking abusive, violent piece of shit. And that's the point. And so, but that doesn't mean a person can't be interesting, even if they're a terrible, horrible human. And Mm. so I really like that. And I think the beauty of The Sopranos as a show is, you are absolutely right, Evan, it is so heady. It is extremely verbose. It is in that there are so many conversations, but a lot of things kind of quote unquote don't happen, but really everything is happening between characters and power dynamics. And Mm -hmm. I love that about the show. This film drains every ounce of subtlety, nuance, power, awe, anything compelling that the show had, it just drains it. It's gone. And Mm -hmm. this doesn't even feel like it's in the same universe as The Sopranos. And here's the thing. A filmmaker is going to put their stamp on it, of course. Uh, you can't have Alan Taylor do it because Alan Taylor, I think, is a terrible director. I think his movies are terrible. I think he has done, directed a lot of episodes of a lot of fantastic shows, Sex and the City, Sopranos, Mad Men, great shows. However, I don't think he is great as a film director because Thor The Dark World is terrible. Um, oh, and did he do that? Yeah. Oh my God. Yes, he did. And it's a horrible film. But yeah, so I... Mm-hmm. I, I think this is just such a waste of time. I think it's a waste of the cast. John Barenthal, completely wasted here. I think Alessandro Nivola is okay. Um, I think Michael I Gandolfini... Yeah, I think Michael Gandolfini is good in... Especially in one scene where he's like sitting at the table and he kind of like wipes his face with his hand and I'm like, oh, James Gandolfini as Tony used to do that all the time and it's kind of like a nice little touch. Um I think Vera Farmiga is actually my favorite here because Livia Mm -hmm. was always such a fascinating character to me because she's an absolute atrocious monster in the show. And it was really interesting to see her here. And I'm also really glad they addressed her mental health struggles and that, you know, she just brushed aside as many people did at that time, arguably. And Tony really cared about what happened to her you know, well-being. And that was kind of nice to see. However, like you said, Dave, who fucking cares? Because I didn't learn anything new. Anything I wanted to know about Tony, anything I wanted to know about Livia, anything I wanted to know about any of these characters, I gleaned from the show. Mm. The only Mm -hmm. thing that was kind of awful to see and also kind of interesting is the car scene where Tony's father shoots her hair because he doesn't like her complaining and it's fucking horrifying. I yeah. know. I was like, when I saw that, the first thing I thought was, it's like, oh my God, he shot his wife in the head. And I'm right? like, no, wait. She, uh, then I was like, well, no, wait, she's in the show. <laughs> right. But I thought the same thing. I was like, oh my God, he just shot her dead. But like, no, yeah. yeah. It's but, so but startling. Yes, it is it startling. Is. But then she doesn't react like she's deaf in one ear or anything like that. I mean, there, there's a lot of things just from a technical level that are wrong with that. Aside from the fact that it's fucking horrifying. Yeah. And it is kind of effective in that moment. But the thing that really, really, I mean, I also just, I didn't like Dickie. I didn't like him. You well, he's know? a horrible um, human. Well, right. Yeah. But but we, we're talking about how anti-heroes are, can be compelling and yes, et cetera. And that's, that's all fair. true. 
I mean, it's like when you watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, I mean, I'm not so interested in, well, he's not really good, Clint Eastwood, but I'm more interested in Lee Van Cleef, mm, who is just yeah. like a horrible specimen of a human being, but he's mm-hmm. fucking Lee Van Cleef. And, and, and this, you know, you need somebody who's more charismatic. And I don't generally have a problem with Alessandro Nivola. I think he's done some good stuff, but I, I don't think that he's, I don't think he's your anchor. You know, um, it should have been John Barenthal. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. I think Alessandra Nivola can be charismatic. Um, have either of you seen the art of self-defense? No, no. I think he, he, I mean, he plays basically like an evil sensei uh, at this, at this dojo. And I feel like he has the charisma to carry it. And I saw elements of that here. I just don't think the character is very well written. Right. I don't think no. that he, well, you don't spend enough so he, time with anybody. Also. Right. Yeah, it's it's such a sprawling story. You want to know the moment, though, that felt the most like The Sopranos? The scenes where he's there in the prison talking to the Ray Liotta twin brother, mm-hmm. who mm. likely is not real. <laughs> Based on that, like, one hallucin- that one moment where he, like, whips around and he's just, like, mysteriously not there. Right. Um, no, I think he actually is real. <laughs> You think he was real? I, I, I think do, he I was. Do. I think he was real too. Yeah. I think he just but, had enough of that conversation. Yeah, he was right. like, "Fuck you, I'm out of here." Because it was very yeah. clear, very early on, that the twin brother wanted nothing to do with him and nothing to do with mob life anymore. Mm-hmm. But that, to me, those moments felt those conversations felt the most like Sopranos. Like it, it yeah, it, for me, felt fair. like something I would see in the show. Um, and so I liked those scenes. I liked when he was there talking to. I'm going to put in air quotes, good Ray Liotta. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was the good Ray Liotta. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. There was something there that I liked. I, I appreciated yeah, quiet Ray Liotta, by the way. Cause Me like when, too. when he first shows up and he's like doing his Ray Liotta thing and just being loud and obnoxious, I was like, this is what it's become later in his career. God damn it. I'm so sick of this. And then you've got the like completely repressed, Ray Liotta in the prison. I was like, oh, okay, acting good. Um, <laughs> Ray Liotta was great in Marriage Story. Yes, he was. That's mm-hmm. true. And he was great. And you're right. He's great as the quiet brother. I I agree with you. I like Ray Liotta better when he's kind of like quiet than when he's kind of bombastic. Yeah. Well, he's yeah, got one I, of those. I also, that, go ahead. Yes. Oh, I was just going to say, just, I agree with you, Evan, that the prison, I agree the prison conversations are, are the most Sopranos-esque. I also think the guidance counselor talking to Tony is very Sopranos-esque too. Um, mm-hmm. I saw this comparison made at LA Times. They had a conversation between three of their critics about the movie. And one of them said this, I think it was this, actually might've been The Ringer. Anyway, I digress. Someone else said, not me, that this was the Dr. Melfi moment. Um, actually, it was The Ringer. But yeah, so mm-hmm. and so that kind of felt Sopranos-esque too. But again, this is just... And by the way, John Magaro is, I love him. He is exceptional in First Cow and he is absolute horrifyingly bad here. Like what is happening? He really is. So bad. I just, so misplaced. You know, I know people, like some people are like, oh, it's great to see young Silvio. It's great to see young, you know, Polly. I don't care. And I have to say, but if you're, if you're going to do that, you have to make me care and not just do bad caricatures with bad prosthetic noses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I just found this was such a colossal waste of time. I fucking hated this movie. Yeah. Like hated. Like I It was a slog. Hate, <laughs> yeah, it was a slog. It made me angry. If you're trying to lure people into watching the show, just watch the show. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. don't waste like your a, time with this. Yeah, and it has this frustrating ending that's like a tie-in to the show oh, where you have this like oh. moment where yeah. It's it's so agitating. Wait, so what was the ending a, again? The pinky swear in the coffin. Uh, the pinky swear. Yeah. The oh. pinky swear, yeah. That yeah. moment it, outraged me when then when the theme song starts playing, which is a great theme song, by the way. I yes. was fucking livid. I was livid. I was like, this this dog shit of a movie is now doing this. It's descending even further into garbage. Right. And that's when, you know, Christopher says something about, ah. you know, I went to hell for my So there I think there is there could have been something really interesting in this idea of family loyalty and the self-destructive relationships between Tony and Dickie and Tony and Christopher. I think there, like there is a theme there. There's something interesting that could have been done with that, but that's just it. This ending is completely unearned when we get to this like pinky swear moment. And it's like, Oh, in, in, uh, you know, in, in, Dickie trying to push Tony away from a life of crime, but then, you know, being gunned down, actually pushing him into it. It's just, oh my God, it's so, it's so fucking annoying. I have to say, I think that completely undermines everything about Tony because it's very clear in the show that Tony did not want this life. He wanted to be a football player. He did not want this life. He did not want to go into it. So if you're going to explore a young Tony, let's actually look at like more of that. Like you're not going to convince me like, oh, his uncle died and he worshiped his uncle. And so now all of a sudden, oh, my uncle's dead. Now I'm going to go into a life of crime. Like, no, it's, it's horseshit. That's not it at all. Because in the show, we know he never wanted this life and he still doesn't want this life, even though he's finds an alluring the power of this life. So it's just, we haven't even talked and uh, we haven't even talked about like the Leslie Odom side story and how that feels like a completely separate movie. Like as far as all of the riots. Yeah. And well, funny enough, funny enough, David Chase, that was his film that he wanted to work on when he was in film school. He wanted to have a movie where four guys come home from the Vietnam war, something, not the Vietnam war, but they come home from war and the the Newark riots are happening. And then he tabled that idea. And then when, then he brought it back out to incorporate into this movie. And I'm like, well, no wonder why it feels like two completely separate movies because they are. And it just is annoying. And why is Giuseppina the Dickie's father or Dickie's stepmother? And then she becomes the mistress and then he murders her. So we just see mm-hmm. that he's a violent, Which, misogynist, abusive yeah. fuck too. Which is really, gross. I, I really had, I mean, when he killed her, I, I was really just, I mean, I already didn't like this movie, but I was just like, this is just like, I know we're not supposed to like these people, even though they're compelling, but I mean, this is just gross. It's yes, just thank gross, you. you know, like, I mean, you're a fucking piece of shit, Dickie. No wonder she's sleeping with someone else. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. I was so outraged. I was so outraged. Thank you for yeah. for voicing all of my concerns. It was it was vom- it was vomitous. Uh, Ooh, that, good that word. Killing. Um, and not just because the killing itself was gross, but because that scene immediately preceding it was them fucking in the bathroom. Yes, and like 
being all over each other and then like immediately you know he switches into oh you fucked someone else you fucked a black man so i'm going to murder you in cold blood right now and yeah, also completion of violence and sex which is disgusting and appalling yeah and there are two other problems with it first of all it's like the tone switching from the fucking to the killing like yes. you were just talking about evan but also the way that scene is shot and edited where he drowns her it's like you can barely fucking tell what's going on it's like Mm-hmm. Is he drowning? Is she drowning? Oh, she did drown. Wait a minute. Okay, so now he's on the shore. Is the rip is the, you know, is the riptide going to pull him back in? Like what what the fuck? It's just like and by the way, they weren't that far out there and all of a sudden they're like 40 feet out there. It's like, I mean, just Jesus. <laughs> the tide doesn't change that quickly, especially on kind of a calm day like this. Ugh. Well, I've said my piece. <laughs> it was so awful. I, I know. I could just keep going on about how much I hated and despised despised and loathed, loathed this. I was so outraged. What a waste of time. What a waste of a potentially good... Like, Evan, I know you, you, you said a few times, like, there's a good idea there. And that's the thing. I think Sopranos is mm-hmm. chock full of good ideas. And you're, you're yeah. totally right about that. But no, this movie is just fucking horseshit. It's so terrible. It's so bad. It just... It angered me. Dave, I feel like I'm channeling you this week. I know. That's why I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, knew that's why you were laughing. I was so pissed because this movie could have and should have been at least okay. Like I wasn't expecting, I didn't have high expectations. I didn't think it was going to be amazing. I didn't think it was going to blow me away. I didn't think it was going to be, you know, the next coming of the Sopranos, but I expected at least an okay show or show. Okay. Movie. And it is just infuriating. It is so bad on every level, except for Vera Farmiga. I stand by that. I think she's great. We're we're in the minority on this, by the way. People are kind of digging on this movie. I mean, they're yeah, well, they're not they're not digging on it. They're saying like, well, it's good enough. That's yeah, kind no, of no. And I say that's I call shit on that too. Yeah. <laughs> oh sure, but I mean, like yeah. I, some of the reviews I've read, it's like, did we watch the same movie? I mean, Jesus Christ! You know, even if you like. Even if you're someone unlike me and you love The Sopranos, it's like, really? You like you, you like The Sopranos so much that you're willing to tolerate this? Okay. Yeah. Bye yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense to me. Yeah, by the way, read the read the LA Times roundtable between the three critics um, because they do not love this. <laughs> oh, good. All right, I'm going to Google it. As yeah, as Justin as Chang is one of them and I, I unfortunately cannot remember the names of the other two critics. But yes, they do not love this and, and they talk about the issues with it. But anyway, yes. Um, and some, I saw another review that also was like, what? But yeah, you're right though. I've seen a lot of other reviews kind of waxing poetic about it, about how it's nice to revisit these characters. And yeah, I, okay. But like, it speaks to your point, Dave, like that these are not good people to idolize. And, you know, and I know like both Evan and I are talking about how aniheroes are compelling, you know, even when they're terrible. And I still think that 100%. But again, I you want to revisit too. these characters. No, I know you do. I know you were just taught, but I, I think you raise a really great point about, you know, watching terrible people and watching terrible characters because there is, there is a very slippery slope because with Breaking Bad, and I know I've talked about this many times, there are so many people who missed the point of the show. You are not supposed to idolize mm-hmm. Walter White, he is the villain. He was the villain from episode yeah. one, and you were supposed yeah. to know that. Well, so, it's it's like people who idolize Scarface. It's like yes. Wh- wh- you what do you mean you like? Point. What do you mean you like Tony Montana? You, <laughs> Tony, whatever his name is. What is his name? Tony Montoya. Montoya. Well, it's like Tony Montana. What the fuck is wrong with me? Um, <laughs> 
it, it, yeah, it's just like it, no, but he's a villain. He's yeah. an abusive piece of garbage. He's terrible. It is a warning. It is yeah. You might find him interesting, but that's where it should end. You should not want to be like him. Yeah, I will add that Dave, you are actually correct. It is Tony Montana. Oh, it is. Oh, <laughs> really? Okay. Yes. Yes. I think it was I Tony Montoya. Yeah, <laughs> I'm making things up clearly. When I when I said "What the fuck is wrong with me?" I didn't mean that. So take it back, take it back. Yeah, I meant I, I am correct. Yay me! I haven't Yay! seen that movie in a decade. Yeah. <laughs> well, do we have any final thoughts on Man, this film? I I think I really said enough. <laughs> yeah, same. I feel like we've all ranted a fair bit about this. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm tired. I'm sleepy now from my rant. Yeah. <laughs> it's tiring. Okay. Well, let's do, let's do a recap. So No Time to Die is in theaters right now. And Dave, you would say see it, right? Sure. sure. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to see it based on your recommendation. Yay. Yay. Bingo Hell is on Amazon Prime right now. And what would you guys say? Bing No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess see it, but I don't know. I I can't even feel that strongly in saying see it. I know that I enjoyed it, but I don't know how much I would uh, stake my reputation on it. <laughs> <laughs> well put. That is well put. I would say skip it. And The Guilty is on Netflix. And what would you guys say? Would you recommend it or not? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm you can watch good. This one. Yeah, you can watch good Jake Gyllenhaal performances and other things, you know. So that is a great point. Yes. Yeah, I would say if you just want to see it for Jake Gyllenhaal's performance, it, which is quite exceptional, yeah, then go ahead. But I would not recommend this. I would say the Danish film is better, but it also has very similar problems. And Evan, would you say see the guilty, not see the guilty? No, I, I think I can't. I found myself I found myself more frustrated than than positive about it. So I'm gonna say no. I agree with that's the thing. This has some has some great positives, but I completely agree with you. I'm more frustrated too. Completely agree. And <laughs> the many saints of Newark is in theaters and on HBO Max. Hell is no. it is it safe to okay? I was gonna say, is it safe to say we all would say fuck this movie, don't see it? <laughs> oh my god, the, yeah. the TLDR version of my review is fuck this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I agree, but I will say the non TLDR is really great and funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> By the yeah. way, I am so glad we all hated this movie because I I would feel terrible ripping into it if one of you guys liked it. So I'm really glad we all were in agreement on it. <laughs> I actually am too, because like I was, I know that you both really like the Sopranos. So I was a little worried that I'm going to kind of like come out hot and you you two are going to be like fucking simmer down now, you know? So no, I was the hothead this week about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't have to worry. Right. And I saw this on Friday night. So I've been stewing. You had five days to get angrier about it. Yeah. Yes. Which just every day I would say to my roommate, what the fuck was going on with that movie? Like it just made me matter and matter. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, those are our recommendations, which actually we don't really recommend anything this week except for No Time to Die and kind of a lukewarm, tepid (laughs) recommendation from Evan on Bingo Hell. Yeah. There you go. Unusual week, folks. 
Well, we want to give a huge, huge thank you to our amazing editor, Otto Clammer. Otto, thank you for everything you do for us week after week. You make us sound great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, you rock. Otto really does. Otto is really cool. (laughs) You all should follow Otto, Otto Clammer on Instagram. They're amazing. You can find Spoiler Piece Theater anywhere you can get podcasts. We are everywhere. You can also find us at our website, spoilerpiece.com. You can find us on social media. We are Spoiler Piece Theater on Facebook and we're at Spoiler Piece on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and TikTok. We are all over the place. So come join us on the social meds. You can reach out to us on social media. You can also reach out to us via email at spoilerpiece at gmail.com or you can call us at 862-21-PIECE. Send us an email. Leave us a voicemail message. Tell us, no, The Many Saints of Newark is amazing. What is wrong with all of you? (laughs) (laughs) Or tell us if you agree. We want to know. We love hearing from you. And if you like the show, please consider rating and reviewing us by going to ratethispodcast.com slash spoiler piece. That really helps us out, gets the word out about the show. You can also go to Apple Podcasts and rate it there. That helps us out tremendously. And if you really, really like the show, like really, really, please consider joining our Patreon. This week, we talked about the sci-fi comedy Attack the Block. We had a great conversation. We always have a good time here on the main show and on our Patreon bonus episodes, Mm -hmm. which you get access to new episodes each week and our entire back catalog of bonus episodes for $5 a month. And you get to vote in polls. You also can sign up for $1 a month. And we would love to have you. Indeed we would. So we want to give a huge thank you to all of our patrons. And thank you, listeners. We appreciate you tuning in. We love doing the show and we love having you here with us. So thank you so much. My name is Megan Kearns. I'm a contributor to Edge Media Network and a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association. You can follow me on Twitter at OpinionSWorld and on Instagram and Letterboxd at TheOpinionS. My name is Dave Riedel. I write about movies. I'm a member of the Boston Online Film Critics Association, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as Dave Sees Movies. And my name is Evan Crean. I am co-chair of the Boston Online Film Critics Association and co-author of your 80s movie guide to better living. You can follow me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram as Real Recon, and that's real as in film real. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.